Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for episode 65 of Freight 360. Ben, good morning. How are you today? Morning. I am I'm good, but I am cold. We got a cold front coming through. It's freezing I, down here. I don't think I even want to hear that right now. I look out my window. We got uh, got a few inches of snow on the ground. They were calling for upwards of eight inches of in certain parts of western New York today with a winter winter weather storm that came through. But uh, that's beautiful, though. You get to sit out and enjoy it from your nice, warm, cozy office, right? I think that's you the might think of that. I so I have. I'm in the corner. In the corner of my house with windows on two sides of me. And it's, I actually have to throw a space heater in here when it gets too cold because it's like five degrees colder than the rest of my house. So, oh. uh, although just, just put a brand new high efficiency furnace in the other day because the other one decided it was uh, on the fritz and, you know, started making some noise. So, better, better safe than sorry. Yeah. Gotta, joys of homeownership. <laughs> uh, that's true. It's like uh, owning a brokerage versus being an agent. Some some have uh, you know all the costs involved in running a business, and sometimes you just get to enjoy being a freight agent. So, perfect example. We had an issue with our refrigerator. They came up and replaced it yesterday. Literally make go. a phone call. They come up, take it out, bring in a new one. It's like I talked to an agent the other day who is worried about a customer. She moved a few loads for them, and the customer hasn't paid and they're, they're aged like 30 days. So they're not even really that old, but she's mm. like, I can't get a hold of them. And I'm like, you know, as an independent agent per your contract, you're not liable for that bad debt. That is something that the brokerage um, takes the risk on. So good little segue from real world life into brokerage, you know, I like that. So anyway, if you're uh, if you're a first time listener, thanks for joining us. If you're, if you've been with us for a while, thanks for continuing to listen to us. Uh, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And, you know, check out the website, Freight360.net. we got a bunch of new videos and blogs up there lately. Ben, you've been putting some great content together video-wise. I've been having some blogs on there that coincide with the episode. So make sure to check those out. We try to share them on our Facebook group as well um, and across LinkedIn. So we're out there. We're everywhere. Hit that review button too. Make sure you leave us a five stars. Put some text in there. I actually haven't... uh, I haven't looked at any of our reviews lately. I'm going to try to pull something up here real quick and see if we got any new ones we can read off. And just to add that that Facebook group is Freight Brokers and Carriers Network. And there's a handful of us in there, you know, almost on a daily basis. So if there are any real-time questions you guys have, we're trying to build a group so that, you know, you can get real-time access to some answers to some of these questions that come out through the day or throughout the week. Love it. So here's two new Two new reviews we got, both five stars. Um, there's actually a third one in there. I'm not. I'm just going to read a couple. So, um, Shocks Up says with five stars, best freight podcast today. Keep up the great work, guys. Great content for freight brokers. Keep bringing it. Um, NR exclamation two three four gives us five stars, titling us best freight broker show. These two guys make every show fun, entertaining, and informative. Uh, I am new to this industry and learning every day, and I'm thankful I ran across this podcast. It is the best one out there, and they crush it each and every episode. Give them a shot. They won't disappoint. If you're new like me or a seasoned vet, you could learn something new with these two. I would rate them over five stars if I could. Keep up the good work, guys. Damn. That's awesome. Feeling the love. I know. It's the holiday season, so I appreciate the love. 
So, you know, what's funny though, is we have all, we have uh, 56 five-star ratings and one, one star rating. So because of that, we're a 4.9. I still want to know who left that one star. And <laughs> you, why. And you reach out to him like four or five times and could get any. No, I, yeah, we've given the shout yeah. out on the, on the show a bunch. So anyway, uh, thanks for being with us. Share us with all your colleagues in the industry. Uh, we got some big things coming up here. Um, that being said, today's episode is going to be all about how to price a lane. It's been a big question that folks ask us a lot, um, whether it's a new lane or your new broker, new customer, new equipment type, we're going to talk through the different aspects that you want to look at. So we're going to get into that, but first let's get a quick round table on the sports update. Um, it's Wednesday currently as we record, Ben, your Steelers are playing tonight. We'll see. I mean, it's been postponed like three times, but you're playing Baltimore. And, and it's at 340 in the afternoon. What an Is odd really? time in the middle of the week. I just looked at it while we were waiting to jump on the air, and it shows airtime at 340. That is insane. Let's see. Steelers game. 340? And, uh, for On NBC. 340. Whoa, dude, it is. I wonder why that. Is. There's got to be something on tonight on NBC that they couldn't have it as a later game. Who knows? Not me. But they're they're playing they're playing in Pittsburgh. So um interesting. My Bills are playing this weekend against the 49ers, but I think it's the 49ers, but they're playing in Arizona because the Niners can't play, can't play in California. Yep. In it's like they're that county, I think is yep. what it is. So interesting. So yeah, whatever San Francisco's county is that because like there was like I think a there was like three different sports teams that were either collegiate or I think it was like two collegiate teams and obviously NFL um, that were affected by it. And then I think potentially two like the San Jose Sharks for hockey also, but who knows? Hockey hasn't started yet to my knowledge. And didn't the Broncos have to play with a backup receiver as quarterback? Dude, oh my God, yeah. So um, basically they had... F- I guess you could say four potential quarterbacks that could have played and all of them were ineligible. So they had like, they're starting and back up there. And then they had like um, another like practice squad guy. And then Blake Bortles, I think was like fourth string or something. They had a, they had a guy that they signed to the practice squad earlier in the month as a wide receiver. He played, I think he played quarterback in like high school or maybe early in college. Mm-hmm. Um so I thought, hey, this guy in fantasy who is listed as a wide receiver, I thought maybe he'd get some some cool points, and I'm already basically eliminated from playoffs. So I threw him on wide receiver on my team. He got negative points. Like that's how bad he, how bad he played. Hmm. No one expected that to be a win, but right. Um, it was actually it was entertaining to watch. Not as entertaining as I thought it would be. Um, yeah. In other news in sports, you had some boxing over the weekend, right? You had. Tyson, yeah. you were Tyson, actually texting me about that. I was, yeah, I was going to watch it. I actually didn't end up watching it anyway. I was I was actually texting around to see who was. I, I heard it was a pretty decent fight. I mean, Tyson, I, I think it was technically a draw because it wasn't actually a fight. It was like an, it was classified as an exhibition because they're 54 and 52 years old. Yeah, it was, both they said the judges ruled it as like a te- technically as a draw. And then but the other was, fight, the other big one, uh, Jake Paul. I mean, I remember this this dude from Vine back in the day. Um, he also, I think he runs a podcast or a video show or something like that. Fairly popular in the younger ages, but he fought Nate Robinson, the former NBA player, and he knocked him out in the second really? round. And Isn't he the YouTube star? He's like a YouTube personality. Yeah. And he got into boxing recently. So um, my, so my brother, it's funny. My brother's a, a reporter for the local Buffalo News here in uh, Western New York. 
and he t- he's like all over Twitter and he tweets. He's like, I'm f- feeling very nostalgic, wishing I can go back two days in time before I knew who Jake Paul was. So because the Internet <laughs> just basically blew up with all these memes of Nate Robinson just face down on the uh, in the ring there and Jake Paul. So I need to do some research after work today. Yeah. Take a yep. look at that. So that's sports. That is sports. We'll see what else. We'll see how the Steelers do. I mean, I'm pretty sure that should be a win. I don't see it. The, the Ravens pretty much. I don't even know how the game's still happening. It's like when Tennessee had yeah. like a million people test positive, but they still beat the Bills. It's kind of BS. I mean, I listen to a lot of Pittsburgh radio and a lot of the, I don't want to say there's not a lot of complaining as much as like, you know, Baltimore hasn't been able to control it. They weren't doing, in some cases, I don't know if it was their strength training coach, just, you know, didn't follow any of the protocol. But now the Steelers so far this season having one of the best seasons maybe ever. They lost their bye week because of COVID. Not that there haven't been other terrible things happen to other teams, right? But also now they were, went from playing on Thanksgiving Day and having a you know a ten day break before this weekend's game. Now they're playing today and then having to play Sunday. You know, four days later, five days later. I think they're going to be just fine. But it it is interesting, man. We've seen mm-hmm. Tuesday night football, Wednesday night football. What what a week or what a season, I should say. What a year. All right, let's let's get into the episode here. So this is Lane Pricing. And this I'm excited because I, I literally just did this yesterday with somebody that's uh that's fairly newer into brokering, sort of. And I'll I'll get into it, but um lane pricing. So the question pops up a lot. You know, new customer, new equipment type, new lane, new as a broker, maybe. How do I how do I price? Right. And there, we're gonna we're gonna kind of get into what what is pricing overall? Where do you start? And then we're gonna look at the different things that can impact Elaine's price, how to calculate that rate, and then we're gonna look at how do you sell that rate to the customer and you know deal with potential objections or pushback or you know whatever your customer's feedback is. So we're gonna go through that whole process. Um, ben, when you were new, so let's kind of talk about pricing at a high level, kind of where to start with it. When you were newer with um, you know, the company that you worked for in the past in a training atmosphere, how did they handle pricing overall? Was it kind of use technology or look at our own historical rates? How did they approach pricing? Did you want to be the cheapest, the most expensive in the middle? Was there a generalized philosophy or does everyone kind of have a different take on it? Sure. Everyone kind of has their own little flavor and it changes also a little bit with customer size. It changes a little bit if you're working through, you know, a routing guide, a bid, or, you know, just some, you know, lanes somebody's sending over. So the circumstance dictates some of that. But the big thing to think about here is before you think about what you're going to charge, there's one big, big question you need to answer is what is this going to cost me? Right. Oh, yeah. That's the first thing you've got to figure out before you're going to figure out what you're going to start with. You got to know what you're going to pay, what that looks like, how you're going to get this capacity secured and actually get a truck on the load. Right. Yeah. You you got to make sure whatever the, whatever the rate is that you give your customer, you got to make sure that you're getting a truck for less than that. Otherwise you're either working for free or you're paying somebody in order to have your jobs. You would be, you would be astonished at how many people I talk to that spend so many hours a day covering loads. And it's, it's rooted right here. It's not having enough money. If you're talking to 50, 60, 70, over a hundred cares and you can't get them to cover your load, you missed the boat with your quote. That's yeah. the issue, right? You shouldn't be spending that many hours unless it's a super tight lane with maybe one truck there and you're trying to pull capacity from something else in a really oddball situation. 
usually a lot of time, I don't want to say wasted, but it is wasted for newer brokers is on this area right here, not having yeah. the right number before they start trying to cover their load. And here's a, I'm going to say this upfront. If you are, if you find yourself spending a lot of time on certain list freight or jump ball freight, whatever you want to call it, let's say you're on a load list for a lumber company, steel company, whatever, right? Super easy hustle to get freight. on. Yep. Yeah. Hustle freight, right? If you're on one of those lists and you're spending hours and you're not able to cover, I'm going to tell you, cut your losses but sooner than later and go find other freight to work on because you are one of hundreds potentially and you might work four hours to cover a load and make 50 bucks on it. Do the math on what you're making per hour. Not to mention, you're not getting all that profit. You're getting a percentage of it. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. Now, as far as um, no, that's, that's an overview. Obviously you want to charge your customer more than you're going to pay the carrier. That makes sense. You got to make sure you've got margin built in. Now, where do you start? Um, if you have, let's say you're a brand new broker, you've never brokered before. You've got no access to any historical data or any, anyone else in your office, which first of all, we usually don't recommend that you go down this route, but let's say you already did. And you're like, how do I price? I would say, go to the tools that are out there, like a truck stop or a DAT, um, or a bunch of other ones, you know, I think freight waves has sonar and some other good stuff. Um, that's worst case scenario. You're just going to use generic market rates. Now let's say better case scenario. You're with an established brokerage. You're either an employee at a larger company or you're an agent for a decent sized brokerage. You have a TMS that has a bunch of historical data within it. You can look at what did this similar lane cost last week, last month, last year at the same time. Um, and you can kind of look at graphs that show the increases and decreases in the cost per mile for that lane. And that's going to give you a good idea of where the rates are heading, if they're going up, if they're staying steady, if they're going down. You know, it's funny when I, when I go to like some of the, the COVID reporting websites to see the graphs of what states are going up and down, it almost looks like freight rates throughout, throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And when seasonal stuff comes up, you see like, oh yeah, this, you know, this state is kind of staying steady. This one's going high. This one's coming down. Um, that's it's just the way it's the ebb and flow, man. And so, I think it's important to understand and to go just, you know, one level deeper in what you just said is that, you know, you absolutely want to start there. It's a great place to look at is look at what your company has paid. You know, that's an accurate number. You know, that actually happened. It's a great place to start, but there are some contexts that you need to understand about that. And I, the way I always looked at this and what I trained on was you've got two different types of freight that you're usually trying to cover. It's either rate-based freight or it's date-based freight. For instance, hustle freight, and we'll use that as a general scenario, right? There are people that have loads that need that can go out any day of the week when you yep. have a reasonable rate. It It'll sit, sit there and that's fine. That is not indicative of a load that needs to go out on one day of the week. Now, when the ro- load has to get covered that day or you know that specific time, you are now subject to those market conditions. So, and I've, and I've made this mistake early on and I never made it again was I quoted off of, an, and you could see like the capacity in our system was one broker, his customer shipped that lane over and over again. Just say the rate was $1,000. You know, I quoted based off that historic rate and then went to cover it because my customer needed it moved that day. And that rate spiked to like 1500 that day. And I'm sitting there thinking, what in the world happened? I looked at this and every day of the week that this guy has a load picked up, he's paying a thousand. How am I off this much? 
And lo and behold, when I picked up the phone and called the broker and said, hey, just out of curiosity, is there anything odd with any of your loads? And he's like, oh yeah, one, those are dedicated carriers. And two, they can take them any day of the week. Those are backhaul loads. So ah. they're not even the same type of loads. And I'm like, huh? And he's like, so, hey, if, and he, and this is where I learned it from. He goes, hey, anytime you're looking at historic rates, make sure if you've got a moment, pick up the phone and try to ask the broker if they've got time. Hey, can I get a little context around this? Is this a load that we covered in the open market because it had to go? Or is this a load that was okay to sit there for a few days until we had the right truck at the right price to come pick it up? Gotcha. Interesting. So let's let's take a deeper dive into that. The, the different kinds of factors that are going to impact that fluctuation in the rate. So you already talked about, um, you know, the price driven versus the delivery time driven, right? That kind of goes into your your three sided um, graph or the triangle that shows speed, quality, and price. price. Right? Yep. It goes goes right into there. You can't have all of the above. Um, so. Right, we talked about that. Another thing I want to hit on too is contracted, like you brought up, versus spot market. Right, that's going to be another big part of it. Um, you mentioned back calls. Okay, so if you're sending a, a back call when you're sending a driver back to their domicile or where their origin, their last origin was, or where their home station is, whatever. Right, it's it's a back call for them. They'll typically take a little bit less money for it because they're going to get home, get to their kid's soccer game, birthday party, whatever. Um, other things. So we've got timing, right? Days of the week, time of the day, time of the year. There's all kinds of stuff that goes into that. Um, Go so back a about- second, because I wanted to add something to it. You just said, because it's important, right? And think about this. When somebody has something like, you know, when they are their backhaul loads, right? Why are they willing to take that for less money than a front haul load? And I think that's important for everybody to understand is they're prioritizing something personally over price. That's why they're willing to like, hey, I'm not going to sit out in the middle of the country for the next four days. I want to go see him, go home to my family. That is more important to that carrier than the rate. That is one of the main drivers of why backhaul rates tend to be lower than front haul rates. Another and another leg to that too is maybe it's not necessarily a backhaul. Maybe it's just where you're sending them to. Maybe you're going to send them to a favorable location. Prime example, and I did this yesterday, uh, a, a woman that I work with, she's uh, a newer agent with me. She Before she became an, an agent, she worked as a essentially like, so she worked for a company that did brokerage in-house. Um, they kind of, either they shut the doors on the brokerage part or whatever the case might be. So she found herself as an independent contractor connecting her handful of shippers with um, her handful of carriers. So she's like, you know, when we first talked, she's like, I, I don't know if this is illegal or not. I'm like, well, you're not, you're not um, brokering because you're don't, you're not, not invoicing a customer yourself. And you were, she was directly connecting carriers with, or customers with carriers and getting paid a commission directly from either the carrier or the customer on it for that service. She was an independent dispatcher. And she goes, honestly, like, it, it's kind of cool, but I feel like it's kind of a gray area. I'm not fully protected. Um, I'd rather just be working for a broker, have the billing be clean, me not have any kind of risk, and me be open to working with any carriers I want to. And I'm like, Smart move. So we looked at one of her common um, lanes that she runs, and she wasn't too familiar with pricing the open market versus her go-to carriers. And the lane was going from Connecticut to Chicago. And I'm like, you have a customer that's shipping outbound from New England going to no- nothing else, nowhere else but Chicago. The Holy which is Grail. Amazing. 
I'm like, yeah, that is like, I'm like, you you have a dream come true right now. Blow up lane. You're taking trucks from a place they don't want to go to, and you're sending them to the mecca of freight. Right? It's you look at a map. Chicago is literally a connection of all transportation nodes, whether it's intermodal or uh, uh, over the road or air. You name it. Like it is just a huge hub. So what? One of the things I told her is, you know, I do this in my office. I've got a big map of the United States just a general reference, right? And every broker should have a map in there, either in your cube or up on your computer somewhere or on your wall, whatever the case might be. Just do a little common sense. Is this lane going to be expensive or should it be fairly cheap and easy to cover? Just look at the map. For example, look at New England or look at Southern Florida, right? If you have a truck that is coming out of those areas and you're, you're, you're getting them out, they're going to want to get out of there because they don't have a lot of options on where to drive. If you're in Southern Florida, you can drive North. If you're in New England, you can drive West or Southwest. You can't go like East because you're going to hit the ocean. Same thing with Florida, hit the ocean. Um, if you're on the contrary, if you're going to send somebody into those areas, it's going to be, you're going to probably have to pay them quite a bit of money to send them in there because they might not find freight coming out. Um, and if they do, they might have to wait a little bit or they might have to deadhead hundred or 200 miles to find freight in another preferable location. So location is huge. So just and have that, that map, look at it. And that was my second step. In fact, honestly, that, that probably even preceded what I would look at my historic rates in the system is anytime I've got a lane and I know everyone, you can use PC Miler. There's a lot of independent softwares, but I would honestly, I would just go to Google maps because it's super quick and I could just throw it in real quick in another browser. And I would just look at the map as if I was going to drive there. You garner so much insight into why it costs what it does when you can visually see where it's going and why. I mean, you know, some of these lanes, you might be shipping to the middle of nowhere and you're wondering like, why would it cost so much? And it's for everything you just said, right? You have to also compensate that driver enough to be able to get them back out. If there are zero loads coming out or very, very low paying loads, that cost is usually baked into the guy going into it, not paying to get him out. Absolutely. So let's, with that point being said, and we'll come back to the timing piece, but uh, look at the the load to truck ratio, and you can find this on a, a variety of different tools. So a lot of TMSs have integration. They're going to pull API data from like Truckstop or DAT. But again, Truckstop, DAT, Sonar, a lot of these um, rating tools and capacity tools, they're going to give you somewhat pretty accurate information. It's not always 100% perfect, but it's pretty darn good. You can look at how many trucks are showing available in that area versus how many loads are being posted in that area. And if there's, you know, only a handful of trucks and a ton of loads, you're competing against a lot of other brokers to get your loads covered. Now I will give you one warning or red flag on using that load to truck ratio. For example, truck stop. I was on there yesterday doing the, just this exact thing. And I knew it was a favorable lane, but it showed like 14 trucks available versus 80 loads posted. And I was explaining to the lady that I was working with, she's like, well, that doesn't sound good. I'm like, yes, but think about how many times 20 different brokers post the exact same load. You don't have 20 carriers all posting the same truck. They're only posting their own trucks. So that is kind of the caveat. There is some common sense that goes into it. I will add a second caveat to that is definitely dispatchers will ghost post trucks out of places their guys are going to be to get an idea for what that rate is out of there. And they'll field calls to see the same thing. That's a great point. And care, or brokers are the same thing. They'll ghost yep. post uh, upcoming loads to get inbound carriers calling them. And then Good they idea. might try to negotiate. And honestly, 
I don't even think it's not really bad. I don't want to call it ghost posting, but let's say you don't actually have the load. Um, you know, if you're trying to quote something out, you can post, you can post it up there, field some calls and say, this is, you know, this is for two weeks from now. This is for a week from now. Do you have any capacity? What would you be looking to pay for? And you can field live actual negotiated rates with carriers over the phone instead of using just historical data. I think the big takeaway here is use as much information as possible. It helps you paint that picture, right? I always kind of look at it as, you know, you see different things between black and white picture and a color picture, right? You start to notice different things. It's the same thing with the information that gets baked into a lane. A lot of the little things that we're talking about, it's not that one is necessarily more important than the other. It's that all of these things add context to why the rate should be what the rate is, right? And and we'll get into this in a minute in regards to how this affects the day of the week, right? And how if you're looking at some data that's showing you seven days ago or the past 90 days, but last week is a perfect example. If you're quoting things based on the first three weeks of November and this load's got to go out last Tuesday or the day before Thanksgiving, you can bet your life it's going to be a different market than it was the week before and the week and the week before that, right? Oh, That's the yeah. context. You've got to you got to understand that because you'll you'll make that mistake once. I guarantee you'll never make it again. Yep. And it's uh so the we'll kind of go big picture on timing and then we'll kind of drill down. So we'll start with like time of the year, right? So for example, the this time of the year tends to be a peak season overall for shipping. And it's kind of obvious why that is. It's the holiday season. It's also the end of the fiscal year for most companies. They're trying to get a lot of stuff closed out, ship a lot of things. Um, When more stuff is moving, it's not like there's miraculously more trucks that just kind of appear out of thin air. So you're going to have tighter capacity, which is going to cost you in general more money overall to move those lanes. So you need to, I think best case is to look at 12 months ago, how did not necessarily what was the exact rate, but how did that rate change throughout the season? And then kind of look at this year and project what you think it would look like this season following that same kind of curve. Um, that's one way to do it. But again, lot fielding live calls is going to be a great way to do it. But that seasonality also, you can look at different times of the year, produce seasons based so, on where you are. Absolutely. And, and typically outside of 2020, there are cyclical, the whole market operates cyclically and it usually operates cyclically chasing the produce market. So those are typically the highest paying loads. So you can watch the truck shift with the weather and capacity shift with the produce season. And that does typically happen seasonally. So, you know, this year is obviously uh, a little bit of a different situation where we had all dumpster fire. It's a, yeah, couldn't have said it better. But that was the other aspect. That's what I would look at. When I looked at timing, I would look at the past, you know, 90 days and look for, you know, patterns. But I would also look at the year before that same week. Like, hey, what did Thanksgiving week look like in 2019? What did it look like in 18? What did it look like in 17? You can usually see the 10-day period. They, they do similar things because similar things tend to happen in those same regions of the country yep. every year at those dates. Absolutely. So let's, let's drill it down. Let's look at like day of the week, time of day. Right. So day of the week, you gave a great example for last week's every week might be a little bit different. If there's a holiday in there, you might have a holiday on a Monday or a holiday on, um, you know, Thursday, if it's Thanksgiving or you might have Christmas on a Wednesday, New Year's. Uh, another thing, too, is look at like a Monday versus a Wednesday versus a Friday. Right. There's going to be a lot because think about your weekend pickups that are all getting scheduled. So you're going to see capacity change drastically throughout different days of the week. Have you have you seen this happen a lot of times, Ben? Well, yeah. And, and even just from it, it's 
broad sense, right? Just think about this is that if you've got a load that's got, you know, two or three day transit or something like a lot of the times shippers typically aren't open on Sundays in a lot of cases or not open on Saturdays. And the reason that shifts a lot, and we used to call it fallout Friday because it was super common for a carrier to drop your load that he might've booked Thursday to pick up Friday afternoon for one that pays more. It's obviously not a carrier you want to keep working with, but it happens. And the reason that happens is because somebody else had a fallout and they went, well, this load can't sit on our dock for the next three days. It needs to be driving for the next, you know, 48 hours. So we're willing to pay more money to get this off our dock before the weekend yep. comes. Has to get there Monday. We're going to pay. It, 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 it shifts the market. It, it does different things where Monday is a day of the week where typically most drivers go on their front halls. They go home for the weekend. At the end of the week, they spend two, three days with their family. And then they head out for their front hall lanes out of their home bases every Monday, scatter throughout the country. Then they try to book loads to get them back home. I mean, that's what the majority of open market trucks do every week. That's that's a great point. So that's where when you look at Monday versus Wednesday versus Friday, you're going to see that shift, right? A lot of big shifts there. You're going to see a lot more back hauls towards the tail end of the week Head halls front of the week. And then Friday, I like how you call that fallout Friday. I've never heard that one before. It's good. <laughs> but the other <laughs> thing to think of is, well, I was just going to say, even like from a very simple sense, right? Think about when you go to sell any load to a carrier, right? Like they want, they make money when they're driving. They don't make money when they're in dwell time. They don't make money when they're de- in detention. They don't make money when they're unloading or loading. So the, the holy grail is, hey, can we get the most per mile and be driving most of the week without stops? So Monday, most of the carriers want the longest hauls and then a load to get them back. So Tuesday is also sometimes an odd day because most of these guys have booked longer hauls on Monday than Tuesday. So it's a much different picture of capacity on a Tuesday than a Monday as well. That's a great point. Now let's even drill it down to the time of day, right? So imagine imagine you're a early riser, 5 a.m., 6 a.m., East Coast time, you're in the office behind a computer, plugging away. What's capacity going to look like at 7 a.m. versus if you're a late riser and you're trying to book loads at four in the afternoon? You're going to see a drastic change. And and both things, because what happens in the morning, right, is you know people have their loads, their trucks posted. A lot of these things get booked up, and then capacity tends to disappear by 10 o'clock. But what also happens like mid to late morning? A lot of the guys that arrived last night or the the trucks that arrived in the morning are now empty and they're looking to rebook those trucks later in the morning to around lunchtime. So you'll see capacity usually there in the morning. It dissipates through throughout the morning and then a lot of it will reappear again through later in the morning. It's a good point. I mean, it, it is such a granular thing to look at as all the little factors that go into this. So, um, time of the day, time of the week, time of the month, season, time of year, all this stuff. Now let's, and we talked about load to truck ratio and that's going to kind of play into all those. Look, let's look at some external factors. You mentioned weather when it comes to produce season. Um, Let's think about something else big that happened maybe this year, or I don't know, like coronavirus or worst hurricane (laughs) season, worst hurricane season on record. Yeah. Most name storms ever in a year. You know, Louisiana got a lot of it up through, you know, the Gulf. That absolutely shifts capacity. You know, if you're a truck driver, you're not going to sit there. You're booking these loads up to get out before the storm starts. If you're not paying attention to that, you might have had a load that was an easy cover because you actually pay less 
in a lot of cases to just get these drivers out of these cities before the storm hits. Yep. So that's one of them. And then think about after the storm clears, there's a lot of demand for product to get moved in there. You're going to see that become a, you know, tight capacity as well. So um, another thing too, like think about coronavirus or anything that's going to, you can look at um, tariffs, anything that's going to, that's going to adjust or affect the amount of goods shipped domestically. So one is going to be if our manufacturing plants domestically are shut down or international plants are not, we're not receiving inbound imports. Like we saw this 2016-ish, 2015-ish, I think, when there was a lot of tariffs. So a lot of stuff coming into the West Coast ports um, was like basically dried up for a month or two. And then there was a huge demand once it all came surging in. Same thing with when everything pretty much shut down in the States, about 50, about half the economy shut down for a month or two months, whatever it was. And certain stuff is not being produced, not being shipped. You actually have a, you know, a fairly good amount of capacity available until those carriers started going out of business because they couldn't stay afloat without making money. And then that became a capacity crunch again. So there's all these little things that can factor in Either way, you know, looking at freight rates and projecting them out, you're just about as accurate as a meteorologist or a economist. You're never going to be 100% accurate. You're making a best guess based off of a million little factors that go into it. It's it's wild. But it's I also feel like that's why. And for me, I, I can say that like that was one of the more interesting aspects of the job. Right? It's there are a lot of different you know flavors to what's going on within a load. There's an open market. You've got to negotiate it. Like that's why I always felt like in this job, you know, no day was like the day before. Right? Tomorrow's not going to be like today. And that's why I think so many people just really get kind of hooked on this industry and don't want to work in any other ones because this is what makes it interesting. This is the fun aspect of the job. At least I've always enjoyed it. It's not to be overwhelming. We're just trying to give you some of the little things that you know we've looked at. You don't need to look at every one of these things every time you price a lane, but they're important factors to consider when you're looking at, you know, maybe why you weren't able to cover a load. You know, think through a few of these things. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. So let's, uh, man, we just kind of beat the dead horse on <laughs> why your job's going to be a nightmare at certain times. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's talk about what to actually do now. Yeah. So, Calculating uh, a rate cost, yes. right? Like how do you figure out what this is going to cost? How are you going to drive down to these numbers? So I want to start high level here. Um, so every, I think it's every quarter DAT releases, um, they have obviously all their stats. So a big company like DAT, not only are they a load board, but you know they're involved in a lot of other things. Whether it is um, you know carrier dispatching, factoring, so they have they can pull multiple data points from multiple sources to get very very accurate information. So one of the things I always thought was beneficial was looking at their quarterly release that showed the average broker margin across the board. So they're, they're looking at both contracted spot rates, you know, all of it, right, and. I mean, I don't remember what the last time I checked was. It usually hovers somewhere around 15 plus or minus like three or 4%. So you might see when it's really tight, you might see like 11% when it's really good. You might see like 18%. Um, I usually see like 15, 14, 16, something like that. So you need to understand what is a reasonable generic margin that you can be expecting on a load. Um, cause if it's, if it's tight and brokers are only making 10% or 9% on average, you shouldn't be going there quoting everything at 20% margin. Obviously there might be certain lanes or certain situations where that's going to be, um, outside of that average. 
Um, but just understand where the market is on that factor uh, regardless. Now, you also want to look at volume of loads. How, like, let's say you're quoting customers got, hey, I got you know one load one time, that's it, right? Versus I had a guy I work with on Monday, he's got like 10 loads a week for the next like 40 two weeks or something like that. And he had to give his pricing out and he's waiting on the response. Those are two totally different situations. Hugely different. They absolutely are. And one of the cases, and just from my book of business where I saw this, you know, the volume really affect rates we're doing. I mean, you'd be wet, troop movements for the SDDC and the military. Yep. So they're sending in a lot of cases, 150 different you know, truck types from one base to another, right? You might have 40 flatbeds, 70 vans, 20 step decks, and 10 RGNs, whatever that is, to move all the equipment for the troop moves from one side to the other. Well, when you've got 15 or 20 van loads going down a lane that don't typically go there, or 50 or 60, right? Think about this, right? Like, really picture all of these all of these trucks that are sitting in the city waiting to be booked on a load, right? And you start swallowing up the capacity as the morning starts. So maybe you start with 80 trucks and you're literally, your demand might in some cases be exactly what trucks are even posted in that market. So as the day goes, what do you think happens as the supply of the trucks that you need decreases what happens to price? You're going to see it surge, huge exactly. surge. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's going to continue to go up. Absolutely. Saw this a lot also shipping steel. I used to do a lot of import steel out of um, Louisiana. So the boats would come in and you're shipping all of these down the same lanes. Well, if you try to move 10 lanes, 10 trucks down the same lane every morning, in a lot of cases, the rate would go up 40, 50% by early afternoon. So it made more sense for us to lower the volume and only ship a handful out every day. It took longer, but they were able to, you know, reduce their total shipping costs to move all of that product to the receivers significantly just by increasing the time and lowering the volume. Yeah. So I think the, the back to my point with the, the volume of it, and those are, those are absolutely great points that feed right into this is let's say you have one spot load versus a project of 100 trucks or 50 trucks, you can you can price lower per move or per load if you've got a project versus you know or if it's you know even five versus one because that the amount of work per load is going to be lower on you versus just that one one and done right. So for that one spot market load to be worth it for you, there's got to be enough margin in it for you to dedicate your time to work on it. Versus if you're working the same lane for 50 trucks, you know, you might have one carrier that can give you eight, right. You could start sourcing a lot differently. So you can get, you can offer a, um, a lower margin or a higher price to the carrier based on, you know, whatever. So, I mean, you got to look at these different things and see how they factor into each other. Um, and that kind of feeds into the difficulty as well. And that's one of the, the things we had listed in here too, for how to figure out your rate. Is it a simple one pick, one drop, dry van or flatbed, whatever, or is it a reefer load that's got three picks, four drops, and you know, you've got to hit certain windows of time. The, the difficulty of the load is going to heavily impact how much you are going to charge your customer. And speaking of which, actually, we should reach back out to Kevin, who you know did this episode with us a couple of weeks ago. He put a great white paper together on the different types of lanes. Um, you know, blue chip lane versus 
you know, you have the the lanes that are always going to have capacity, you know, the LA's, the Chicago's, right. But you have these, I don't want to say oddball lanes, but these lanes that, you know, aren't shipped that often, they have a, there's a different set of capacity. There are different types of trucks there. It is going to be a different type of load. There's going to be a different type of difficulty in regards to actually getting that covered. It operates much differently. Going yeah. back a second, I, and I wanted to add something to the volume of loads is, you know, a, a quick tip to make this easier on you is if you know your project's coming down the pike, and it reminded me of this when I was thinking of these ships coming in that I would, you know, secure the trucking capacity as they would come into the port. I knew 30 days in advance when they were going to be there. Well, I didn't wait till the loads needed booked. I mean, in some cases, if you wait the last minute, you can get a cheaper truck. But for the most part, like I'm going to regional carriers or I would look for carriers that shipped in to, let's just say, Louisiana. And then I would call them weeks in advance and go, hey, do you guys front haul down into Louisiana often? And they're like, yeah, every week we send 20 trucks down there. And I'd go, okay, well, I know you guys are based out of Chicago. All of my loads are Louisiana to Chicago. How many of these do you want? And we can just absolutely organize the backhauls. I'll make your life easier. You make my life easier. We come up with a reasonable rate and I can get some of these booked way before the boat even arrives. That's a that's a great way to do it. And that's um, I, I don't want to call that super advanced, but that is the kind of thinking style that you need to have to be successful and achieve that next level as a broker. Because that is the kind of thinking that the entry-level folks or the non-seasoned or the people that don't have a mentor, that's the kind of stuff they don't think about. And that's what's going to help you separate yourself from the rest of the pack. So I love it. Good stuff. Let's even look at, um, so like equipment type, right? If you've got some specialized stuff that not everybody is very savvy in, you probably got less competition in, in dealing with bidding on that kind of stuff. So um, heavy haul, great Great way yeah, to look. I was just going to say it. My favorite example are open deck stuff, right? If yeah, you've got a, there's four like a million different kinds of flatbed step decks, all of them. <laughs> but so even mad. just, even that's most simplest sense, right? If you have a four foot tarp requirement, right? There are a lot more trucks that have four foot tarps. Almost all flatbeds and step decks carry those. If you've got an eight foot tarp requirement, much less trucks carry that. And if you've got a 12 foot tarp requirement, even less. So these little things, like just taking a step back and thinking about it, like you, I always looked at it from like a general common sense point of view is how many loads do you see driving down the road that are 12 foot high on a flatbed? Not that many of them, right? Nope. Most of them are lower. So yeah. probably a lot of trucks will have the shorter tarps and they do. They're less freight that's that tall. Less drivers are going to carry around a 12 foot tarp. There should be less of them. Should cost you more. It should take you a little more time to actually get those covered, and that's absolutely the case. Same thing goes with like, uh, like you ever do a Conestoga load? Oh, uh, yep. Yeah, I mean it's one. Of the, I remember the first time yeah. I helped somebody find a Conestoga, and he's like, "What is a Conestoga?" And I was like, "Just Google it. Like, it, it, it looks like a mix of a, a flatbed with a massive tarp and a, and a dry van because that's essentially what it is. It's like a curtain." On the it's side a, of yeah, it. they, they call them, what, they also call them, what's that? They call them um, side curtain or something like yeah, that, right? Yeah, side, it's something with curtain. My mind just went blank. Um, and absolutely, there is another name for it, but I always think of Wells Fargo, the, the old Conestoga wagons. But that's all it is, is yeah. it's a flat deck that can run open, but you can close it when you're underway and then open it back up to unload it. So this guy was moving um, squash court. It's something for squash courts. It was like the glass, I think. And they mm -hmm. were they were tilted up on these big wooden um, 
frames basically. So they couldn't be tarped directly against them. They had to be secured to the floor and they, but they had to be covered by a tarp, but they had to be side loaded and unloaded. So that's like, that's Conestoga material. If you don't know what a Conestoga is, Google it and don't look at the old like coach wagons that you see in like the 1800s or whatever. Look at the, the full truckload Conestoga that looks like a dry van made out of a tarp. Really so. prevalent in your area, actually. The steel mills that go that used to, I don't know, still a lot of them are in northern Ohio, up through the Michigan area and through Pittsburgh, because a lot of that stuff and a lot of those steel coils and things, same thing, need to be side loaded, need to be covered, can't be tarped. They prefer. So I always, I mean, there's a lot of them up in that area. I used to move a lot of steel. We would have to find a lot of those. Yeah, I, I remember my first time ever working with the Conestoga. I was in the LTL world and we had a... Um, a broker load that delivered to our yard. We had to unload it, throw it on an LTL. Um, in the back of an LTL truck and like a pop 20 foot pop and then deliver it to the the customer. So that one didn't have to be side loaded, but it it was a basically it was a partial shipment that they wanted to unload in a different order than it was loaded on. So that's another reason for Conestoga. So anyway, think about it, right? When you're dealing with difficult situations with um, the equipment type, or maybe the partial loads, things like that. You have to think about the, you know, not just the difficulty that goes into it, but you got to think about having a conversation with your customer, right? Are they, are they understanding how difficult it might be for you to find a truck? Cause you could always do the whole, I can find you a truck. Now it's going to cost this. Give me another 24 hours and I could try to do it for $200 less. And you can always give them that, um, that information and try to get some feedback from it, which we'll talk about selling the load to the customer and how to evaluate that feedback. But um, that's all part of it. So in a nutshell, um, calculating the rate, Ben, here's my down and dirty on it. Look at as much info as possible, right? Look at your historical rates. Look at the live data that you're seeing on sites. Get some loads posted up there. Um, talk to carriers that you that are actually out there with trucks. Get filled out a bunch of rates and you got to kind of mash that information all together and come up with what you think is going to be the best reasonable rate that you can give to your customer that's still going to give you margin. And I know that is not a one size fits all answer. There's a lot of variables that go into it, but you will learn with time what lanes have what little funkiness to them and which customers are a little bit more flexible than others um, and which lanes are worth bidding on and which ones aren't. So that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. And and kind of my take on that is, I mean, for round numbers, if it's less than a long haul, you know, I mean, you're talking 500 to a thousand miles. I'm looking more at like flat negotiable margins, right? Like I always use 300 as my round number. Carriers typically want to make $300 off those. Brokers tend to want to get that $300. So I always would start about $300 above what I hope to pay. And I usually notice the same thing for the carriers. They were about $300 above what they would probably take it for if you, you negotiate with them a little bit longer. You make a good point. So I remember I did a, this is years back. I looked at for an entire year, loads moved. We're, this is like tens of thousands of loads moved. The average broker margin per load, and this was across the board, including long hauls, short regional hauls. It was like $285. Yep. Um, but I think the next year it was like 305. So it all, it all depends. And that's where that margin will go up and down quarterly for brokers. But that's a, that's a pretty good, accurate thing to look at. But again, that is not going to be all inclusive of every lane, right? You've got these short lanes that are going hundred miles. You're not making 300 bucks on them. It's just not going to happen. You might not even be paying $300 altogether. Right. So, and that's the other yeah. thing too, right? Is 
is think about, you know, we talked a lot about this is your actual job, right? Whether you have an ops department, whether you are that department, you cover your own loads, the time it takes you to cover the load is what you're charging your customer for. Like that is absolutely it. Plus, you know, some of the hard costs that are baked into it, you know, your TMS and everything else. But in reality, like they, it should almost be directly correlated with that. And when you're selling your rate back to the shipper, like that's what I'm emphasizing is, hey, I know you wanted to be at a thousand. It's, I, I need 1300 on this. Why I need 1300 is because if you need this to go out at eight in the morning, it needs to be there Thursday at two in the afternoon and you don't want this guy to break down, hey, I'll book a guy at a thousand. He's got a huge out of service percentage. The guy's truck might break down. It's very likely that he's going to have an issue. Do you need it to be there Thursday? Absolutely. Asking yeah, I think that question, right? Giving it. So yeah, selling it to the customer. I think my biggest takeaway on it is just give it context. Yep. Give your customer some context as to why your rate is what it is, whether it's a little bit higher than they wanted or hey, maybe it's lower than the last time you moved that lane for them. Explain to them why. And then give them an option. I almost always, if possible, want to give them more than one option is, hey, definitely if it's a load, I'm going to go, look, you know, if this needs to go out, I'm at 1300, right? If I'm going to pay a thousand, I'm going to try to get 13. If they're going to kind of get me back down to their pay rate, which is a thousand, go listen, hey, I'll definitely try to get a thousand, but I can't guarantee it gets picked up today. Are you okay with it getting picked up later today or tomorrow and it being delivered a little later than you wanted it to? That's why I always what is like- more important, right? Price yeah. or the date? Rate or date. Exactly. And that's why you talk about options. This is a great example. So I deal with a lot of folks that they don't have 53 foot requirements. They might have a 12 foot shipment or a 20 foot shipment. Um, So you could say, hey, customer, here's your options. We can go volume LTL. We can go with a straight truck. We can go partial or we can go full truck and take an entire truck. All four are going to have different prices, different transit times, different, you know, variables on how often that load is touched. Like LTL, it's going to be touched more than once between pickup and delivery. Um, your box truck, eight is it's going to go from A to B without stopping, right? Uh, partial might get moved around, might get delivered when it's convenient for that driver. Full truckload. Kind of like that straight truck, but you're renting a whole lot more space that's not needed. So options, context, you know, think outside the box. This is good. Even if you don't get the lane or the load, that tells that customer that you are thinking that way for them and you will continue to do that. And guess what? That's how you will build rapport and respect and credibility with them. Exactly. I mean, even if you don't get the load, you're building more rapport, you're becoming that consulting, you're becoming a trusted partner in their business. And that information is super valuable to them because remember, like their job is to get their loads booked and to get them to their customers. It's not to understand and access the open market all day long. That's our job as brokers. Yep. And the the last thing I want to add on the feed, customer feedback is a lot of times your customer will just straight up tell you where they want to be. And it's important to, if they don't tell you, you can always ask them. And a lot of times they'll tell you, so you might quote them and they'll say, no, I'm going to, you know, I'm not paying more than X. Like I've seen it a lot, right? Furniture, Ashley furniture or other similar things where it takes three weeks to get delivered to the distribution center because they will wait and let it sit there until a truck is available for cheaper. Mm -hmm. That simple. So that's my thoughts on, how to give it to your customer, evaluating all of it, all that good stuff. 
We can even do a follow-up episode, honestly, probably on just selling loads back to customers and selling loads to carriers. I think those are probably two good future topics for us to cover. Let us know what you guys think. If you're listening in, leave us a uh, review, email us. What is the, the I think it's, uh, is it info at Freight360.net? Is that the generic one? Or just go to the Freight360.net website and there is a contact us section. Very easy way. Or just look at me and Ben on LinkedIn. Our yeah. pages are in the show notes. I get flooded with messages on there. It's so funny when people message and you don't respond because it's all spammy. You don't know who they are. They just keep every week the same thing. Yeah. Like, here's my calendar. Book time with me. And it's like, I didn't what? I who know are who you? you are. What? Yeah. Anyway, we got a couple quick questions here from Reddit. Question number one, what is the best way or platform for using customer or carrier onboarding, preferably online. So there was more context to it. Basically, a broker saying um, for setting up new customers, is there an online system I should be using or should I use a credit application or whatever? Um, Same thing with carriers. Should I be using an online carrier approval system, manual packets? I say the, the more that you can automate is the better. But remember, automation costs you money. So you have to scale as it's appropriate. Um, great tools like RMIS, mycarrierpackets.com, great online sources for carrier packets. Um, a lot of TMSs have theirs built in, like McLeod has one that's built into theirs. Uh, I believe a lot of the other big boxes do as well, like uh, DATs and who, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of big companies, LJX, who's owned by Descartes, there's a bunch of them out there. Um, so I say if you can automate it in some way, shape, or form, avoid sending a uh, PDF that has to be printed out and signed. That's great for carrier packets. Um, customers, it really depends on your company. All you're really doing is getting their information and you know extending credit. So if you can avoid the customer having to sign something on paper and send it in, it's going to save you time. So it is easy as possible. Yeah, as like I can tell you that as you can. The company I'm with with our with our agent program, and <clears throat> this was by design created intentionally is, you know, we, we know how many brokers lose loads because a new customer isn't set up fast enough because they haven't gotten a signature. We don't require a customer to sign a, a customer form. Just get their information. We'll take a look at them, get them what's needed. And then, you know, if at some point we need a more detailed dive into that company, yeah, there's a customer for or a credit app they can fill out, but we try to avoid that. So just make it easy, efficient, but remember automation costs money. So scale it properly. Uh, next question. What broker insurance should I be using? Um, vague question. I will tell you that you are required to have certain insurances. So make sure you have, I think it's general liability. We went through this before general liability. Um, you cannot carry primary cargo as a broker. So don't ever think about that. You can have contingent cargo, um, Workers' compensation is required in certain states. What am I missing here? I was just thinking through my head. Is I think you covered general liability is the big one. Yeah, a lot of and people that's have your million dollar. Yeah, or your so, million dollar requirement that most shippers typically require. And what I'll tell you is, a lot of big customers they're going to want you to produce a certificate of insurance or a COI, as it's commonly called. Make sure that your insurance agent is easily accessible to get some stuff done for you. If you need that accord form, 
produced with that customer listed on it. And make sure you get the customer's name and address as they want it listed the first time so you're not going back and forth. So that's my insurance piece. Um, what company do you use? I don't know. Use a broker and see who, see if your broker or agent for insurance can find you a bunch of different insurance providers. It's going to offer you the same thing for cheaper. Um, how do I get out of the truck and start brokering? I've looked at companies like TQL and CH Robinson. Well, I would avoid, if you could, a company like a TQL or CH Robinson solely due to the fact that they have non-competes. Um, unless you plan to stay there long-term because they do have good training programs overall. That's the feedback I've heard. I'm a fan of working for a small to medium-sized brokerage in your area, learn the trade from somebody, um, get paid while you're doing it. And, um, you know, don't be a number at a large company if you can avoid it. So that's the question I would ask back to anybody asking me that is, you know, what are you looking for? What is your financial situation? Because, you know, the, the larger companies have more of the restrictions they tend to give you a little more security. If you literally want to just stop driving your truck and you want to go to work and have some money and have some insurance while you learn it, that can be helpful. But if at all possible, and you can get some of that security without having to give up, you know, the restrictions and the non-competes, as Nate said, you know, look for some of the local options. There are plenty of companies out there that'll probably give you a pretty competitive salary, allow you to learn it, allow you to build the book and probably own your book when you're done, which is, a huge aspect that you're not going to get from the big names. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you're going to be spending thousands of hours of your life developing the equity that is your book of business, calling, dealing with rejection, endearing yourself to these people. And then you find out two, three years later that like you have no control over it and they can do whatever they want. Yeah, no good. No fun. Um, as a caveat to that, one little add-on, what not to do is just go get your authority and, you know, trial and error. So, Good stuff. It's just not necessary, right? Yeah. yeah. We talked about this a lot. I mean, there are definitely ways that you can get all of the benefits without having to give up as much as you typically do in other situations. Absolutely. Well, Ben, great episode. Pricing. How to price lanes. You know what I'm excited for too is um, we're starting an affiliate marketing or affiliate piece with DAT. Where we're going to be able to offer users a free month of DAT products coming up. And I, I'm excited for that because there's a lot of really cool tools in these load board um, sites like DAT, obviously being one of them, where you can look at rating, you can look at historical rates, all this stuff. You can look at truck to load ratios. Having that data is massive and it's huge. So, you know, keep an eye out for when that affiliate piece um, starts here. Hopefully very, very soon we can start to offer that out to folks. Um, we actually- No cost to you. It's a free month. Yep. Free month. And to that same point, I wish you just got an email during the call. We're going to be doing an episode with DAT's Ken Adamo. looks like the second week of December. Next and week? we're going to be, yeah, no, next week's the ninth. So I guess third so week the of third December. Week. Yeah, the, the 16th. But uh, regardless, middle of December. Yeah, we're going to be doing more with DAT. And I think the piece that Nate mentioned is what I'm excited to is to be able to get granular with some of these things to give you some actionable stuff that we can show, maybe create some videos around this to show how to work through a bid and some of these things. Ken's their uh, head of analytics. And I think he's going to be bring on and we're going to be talking about lessons learned from 2020 and how to position yourself going into next year. Obviously pandemic still a thing. COVID still got a lot of odd things going on in the market going through this month and into next year. So should be a great topic. Absolutely. Well, good stuff. 
Ben, do you have a proverb for us today? Or are we going generic? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. Until next time, for the 9-3 and three Buffalo Bills, hopefully, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.